0: you're listening to the coffee hour i'm sarah Golzeth. i'm andy bates thanks to concordia university wisconsin for your support of the coffee hour you can find out more about concordia university wisconsin at cuw.edu
1: live uncommon
0: It is Advent, in case you haven't quite noticed yet, and we love Advent hymnody around here. Andy is wearing his Advent socks today, so it's definitely Advent. (laughs) We love Advent hymnody. There's so many good Advent hymns, and we only have four weeks to cram them all in. So we're going to talk about a few of them today. Joining us is Paul Solek, Director of Parish and School Music at St. John Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Thanks for having me. So you, you pulled a bit of a wild card on us, and I'm kind of excited about that. Normally, we, we have our hymns out of the Lutheran service book, but you want to talk about one from One and All Rejoice, which is super fun for today. So first, can you just explain what One and All Rejoice is for those who may not be familiar with that hymnal?
2: Yes. CPH has a new children's hymnal out, as you mentioned, One and All Rejoice, taken from that hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, of course. But we found it useful for our children in our school, but also for our children of all ages. It's given us some new tunes and some new texts to use with the lectionary year, and we use some of those in in corporate worship as well.
0: And one of those is, The King of Glory Comes from One and All Rejoice. So what is exciting about this hymn? Why did you want to talk about this one today?
2: Well, several things for me. I like the tone of Advent in this way that we're remembering Jesus first coming to us as a baby, but his continual coming to us now as he's present in his word and in sacrament is coming again at the last day. And when we can do it where Advent isn't just about the color of the banner or about the, the penitence that we're all supposed to feel or the preparation we're all supposed to make, when it gives us the whole story, my ears always perk up. And this is also one that's got some Good uh, rhythm and some good feel. And for kids to get in using instruments, we usually do it. So the opening refrain being the King of Glory comes, the nation rejoices, open the gates before him, lift up your voices. So it gets right into the psalm. We have lots of Advent hymns that use that same open the gates, lift up the doors, open everything up, Jesus is coming. And it's great to start with that. I can't wait to talk about
1: the tune on this because you, you mm. already pointed to that, but I want to dig into the text first. So yes, the first, the refrain that is, is very common, in a common theme in Advent hymns. What else do you see in the text here? Where else do we go with
2: this text? Sure. So we're starting right off with not only Psalm 24 and lift up the gates, but we're looking first Sunday of Advent and the, one of the gospel reading options there is Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And so we've got this first verse that brings us right in. Who is the king of glory? What shall we call him? He is Emmanuel, God with us, the promised of ages. So it's got one foot in the prophecy and one foot in the fulfillment. And we're singing in both. And because it's rhythmic, we're alternating between feet on on beats two and four. But it it brings that in, first of all. And then where we go from it is what I really love. In all of Galilee and city or village, Jesus goes among his people, curing their illness. So it brings in, here's who this is that's coming in, the manual. Here's what he's doing now. And the third verse gets to where that will take us. He didn't just cure that illness for those people. He gave his life for us. And when it gets to the for us, that's when my hands always go up. And there's some kind of uh, chapel illustration in our Lutheran school. Whenever they hear for us, they know there's going to be a special emphasis he gave his life for us, the pledge of salvation. He took upon himself the sins of the nation and all of that old Testament imagery. I remember thinking really weird, like kind of Israel and all of these things that were coming in when I was a kid. And I couldn't figure out what we were talking about because in the nineties, we were always talking about Israel in a historical thing that happened after world war two, but that there was also conflict and there's, political conflict. Why on earth are we talking about Israel or the nations, all of those things, and all of us and Gentiles outside of Israel being grafted into God's plan? That's the fun thing to get to talk about now.
0: Who wrote this text? Do we know who wrote it?
2: Yes, we do. He was a Catholic priest in Illinois in the mid-60s. And for those who are all into Vatican II kind of things, this was a time when Latin... Wasn't just the restrictive language that the language of the people was used in worship. And there was a whole bunch of hymns and songs that were being written in the Roman Catholic church, as well as the Catholic folk ensembles in the 1960s. We have all sorts of fun guitar music. I think it's fun, but I, and I'm allowed to do that, I guess, but Willard Jabus wrote this and he was in Chicago and it was one of the first English Roman Catholic hymnals actually when it was published in 1966. We wrote this for his folk ensemble. It, it found a lot of usage within the Catholic Church, and then obviously outside of it, uh, too. I sang this growing up. We sang it on Palm Sunday and the first Sunday in Advent. It was pretty fun.
1: So you mentioned the tune uh, <laughs> earlier, so I get to ask the fun question about the tune: <laughs> Where does this tune come from?
2: So he's adapting things, and this is the same text author, the Roman Catholic priest that did this. He adapted this tune from an Israeli folk tune. So there's not a direct correlation to an Israeli folk song that I know of, but kind of snippets and modes and musical qualities that are used there that he brought in. And and it has that dance feel to it. One of the resources even suggested getting a little bit faster on every verse, and just to have that kind of anticipation, here it goes as you're dancing. We did that a few years ago, and it specifically, and it was quite a bit faster by the end. And a Concordia music student came up to the balcony afterward and was, was very respectful. But they said, I don't know if you noticed, but you got faster during that piece. <laughs> <laughs> and I was glad they noticed it, maybe not for the reasons that I would want. So we still do that. We sung at this Advent, but we do it maybe a a little smaller window between fast, slow and fast. So what has
1: been the response to this hymn from your students at St. John?
2: They love singing it. I mean, it's a fun song to sing. And I think this is one where maybe the energy of the music brings you in first, and then you get a chance to really explore what's going on. And so a lot of the times when I'm introducing something, I'm not using a piano, I'm not using a guitar or anything else. We'll often do that in our school chapel together. And we have a wonderful gift here in being able to be in our worship space, which is generally hard surfaces and good acoustics. And so listening to the human voices of 180 kindergarten through eighth graders sing something and having the room sing it back to you. It's pretty amazing. And so when we do that, we start slow and we just echo phrase by phrase. And so, yes, we have all of the fun of the Palm Sunday thing. Everybody likes to do a good play or musical. But when we get to the last stanza and or the third stanza, rather, he gave his life for us, the pledge of salvation. We do that slower and as we're echoing it together so we can really hear that. And then we get back into the refrain and it's all of the things together, all of the joy, all of the sorrow all of the things of the hymn it's got the whole range the window is wide open on emotions of the life and death and then resurrection of jesus so it's been a great response but it's one that takes time and so when we're thinking about music to teach our students here and regardless of whether they're in elementary school or students of all ages because we're all learning we think about things that not only are good for now but give us something to grow into and so the kindergartners aren't going to get all of the idea of he took upon himself the sins of the nation from the first week in Advent. But it gives them something to grow into. And for that, we give thanks. Hmm. I want to be a Mr. Solek's music class.
0: Right. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all right. Anything else about the King of Glory comes before we go on to the next hymn?
2: Well, no, but other than, no, I shouldn't say no, but I will. Yeah, absolutely. There's more to say, but I think mostly of the instrumentation of this, where it was originally written for a folk ensemble and folk music, just meaning of the people. And when we do this in our general music practice here, our instrumental ensemble is open to whoever wants to play. And so hearing this done with a variety of instruments and the percussion always emphasizing the congregation song is probably what gives me the most joy because I think about that Palm Sunday occurrence and how we're we're all dressed up and cleaned up for it. and We're here at 830 or 11, but what that first Palm Sunday was, and we're crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And the children are singing and Even if the children are silent, the stones cry out. I mean, that whole idea that all of creation is joining in this groaning and this anticipation. So to hear our voices and our instruments all join into it gives me a great joy and I think a good picture of how we're all living in these days.
0: Absolutely. So we'll, we'll dive in really quick to the next one, and, and then we'll have to take a break. But, but let's, let's intro it first before we, before we go to break. Lutheran Service Book 355, O oh Savior, Rend the Heavens Wide. This is a fun one. I love this one. Why did you want to talk about this one today?
2: Well, today I was thinking of it because it was a call-out hymn during communion for us recently. And when we have uh, more people than we anticipate with worship planning, we've got a lot of space and I could play something. But this was one that I heard the sermon and I was thinking, oh, I really wish I would have picked this hymn. Well, then later in the service, we had the opportunity to sing it. And so sometimes we all do our worship planning and everything is planned out and it makes sense with the lectionary and the time, of the season, everything. Sometimes where the sermon goes later is a little bit different than we could have planned. And this was one where we got to do something kind of on the fly to express it. So it's originally written in, in German, and this actually came to us as somebody, also Roman Catholic, but somebody who was part of the Counter-Reformation. So they were not friendly to Lutherans. So I don't know what uh, Friedrich von Langenfeld would have thought about the Lutherans in Nebraska singing it, but it's a great thing, really showing the ecumenical nature and a good sense of hymnody.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to learning more about it. And we'll do that in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Golceff.
1: You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Golseth.
1: Today we're talking with Paul Solak. He's Director of Parish and School Music at St. John Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska. We're digging into Advent hymns, and we are in, is it 355, in Lutheran service book? Is that right? O Savior Wren the Heavens wide.
2: That is correct.
1: I got the number right for once. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us more. You mentioned who wrote the text for this hymn. Tell us a little bit more about the text, O Savior Wren the Heavens Wide.
2: Yeah, so again, like the King of Glory comes that we discussed earlier, this has the emphasis on Jesus' first coming, his baby in the manger, his coming to us now, what this means for us, what we ask of him, and then it points us to his return, because it isn't just this idea that, oh, he came and this was so cool and we're recreating Bethlehem again. We're doing Advent in the remembrance of that event, in the assurance of his presence with us now. And in the confidence that he's coming back to make all things new. And the more time that passes, the more I long for that. I'm excited to see the heavens rend wide at the end of time, to see the graves open and to be restored. I look forward to that. Miss Him really digs into that idea. There are several commentaries about this author, and one of them actually didn't have nice things to say it it said the mannerisms are pronounced the pastoral imagery and dialogue jars upon modern ears he's too subjective and sentimental all of this idea everybody has different thoughts and opinions i think it's pretty cool especially in the context of palm sunday that we were talking about before where if the voices are silent the stones are going to cry out. And this really calls on all of creation, which is something we do in in Joy to the World. Repeat the sounding joy while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. And so every stanza of this from the one through five, begins with a different address. The first one, O Savior. The second, O Father. The third one, O Earth, be seen the flowering bud. The fourth stanza, O fount of hope. The fifth stanza, O morning star. So we have kind of an idea like O come, O come Emmanuel with the O antiphon that we're calling to Jesus. And we have very specific things we're, we're calling out about. It's not something we say in everyday language, rent the heavens wide. But this idea, come down to us, we desperately need what you have to bring I think the fourth stanza for me is is one of my favorite. O fount of hope, how long, how long, when will you come with comfort strong? O come, O come, your throne forego, console us in our veil of woe.
0: What kind of imagery do we see in this text? I don't know if I've really studied it as much as I am right in this moment. (laughs)
2: I hadn't thought about it too much either. Organist David Sherwin does a wonderful introduction to this, and I'm not sure if it's published, but I always try to copy it. It begins with the pedal line coming down in a, in a sequence, and it repeats the sequence, and it goes up a little bit, comes down a little farther. You get this idea of a descent, and it's a really powerful kind of thing. So a lot of that power image, but the fourth stanza, you have kind of, juxtapose things in our mind, comfort and strength. When will you come with comfort strong? Those ideas, the fifth verse then brings us to the O morning star, O radiant sun, when will our hearts behold your dawn? O sun, arise without your light. We grope in gloom and dark of night. So the window is open from the darkest of night to the lightest of light. And then when we finally get into stanza six, I mentioned that one through five all begin with this, O Savior, O Father, etc. Stanza six, as if we haven't had enough of that dark imagery yet, then's dreadful doom upon us lies. Grim death looms fierce before our eyes. O come, lead us with a mighty hand from exile to our promised land. So this this is full of images. If you made all of the Old Testament imagery listed, it would fill a page easily. But this idea of wandering, this idea of being lost in need of being found, it's all there. And then, and then we get to stanza seven. There shall we all our praises bring and sing to you, our savior king. There shall we laud you and adore forever and forevermore. So this idea of Jesus return again in glory at the, the last day or whenever he takes us to be with him. It's a, it's a glorious thing, especially, I don't know about anyone else, but I definitely feel the realization of death and change and decay in the last few years has is more on my mind. At least in our congregation right now, we've had lots of funerals. A lot of people that I've been, close to over the past 14 years of being here. And that gets a little oddly harder and easier on all of those because I might shed a few more tears at these when I really know the people well, but it's also a joy of knowing what they're experiencing and what we're looking forward to experiencing with them. So every Sunday that goes by and we're singing, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabao, I have somebody else that I'm singing with in their mind. their their image is on my mind and so a hymn like this brings that all together which is why maybe in the last few years it's become one of my favorites Mm -hmm.
1: i would like to talk about the tune a little bit before we go on to the next hymn tell us about the tune for "O savior rend the heavens wide
2: this is one that's actually an identified unidentified tune so we're looking at continental europe it was there in the 17th century in Germany. So the first source they have for that is from 1666. And what they have is the voicing is just melody only. So there are yeah. several uses of the tune now for this one. It's it's a modal minor hymn, but it's it isn't one of those that we have a really good story of pairing, at least that I'm aware of.
1: It's the, this goes way back, like historically, looking at the the info in the hymnal on the the tune, we're looking at what,
2: 1666? Yes, yes. So this is one of those examples of we're given a melody and then oftentimes we'll have somebody that comes much later that sets that melody with the harmony. Because really in the hymnal, what we're looking at is choral music and it's up to a keyboardist often to interpret that. But this is one where Paul Bunches wrote, the setting, which is the four parts that all work together there, I guess the three parts besides the melody. So this is one that I think the text and the tune combo are good. It's a really sturdy tune. There's some syncopations that come in. Syncopations is when a beat falls somewhere that you don't expect it to. And so it kind of has a punch to it. And as I'm teaching organists, those are those opportunities to really bring out the rhythm in these things. These are Singing things often we sing them kind of ploddingly, but it's the goal of the keyboard is, I hope, to bring these these images and the text to life. Something about the text actually that I wanted to mention too. That I mentioned the the author who lived from 1591 to 1635. So in a in a tumultuous time of the world, I guess as they all are, but he was ministering to people who were convicted of witchcraft in the late 1620s, and this was often a a conflicting thing for him, pleading for these uh, trials, and I get witch witch hunts literally to to stop. And this idea of the sick and the dying, and a very suspicious, tumultuous time. He was ministering to these these people, and so if you think about the hymn and the longing for the peace that only can bring from the cross and the resurrection, that's definitely a time it was not ponies and unicorns for him, certainly in his life or those who he was helping.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Shall we move on to our last hymn?
2: We've got, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus to End Us Today. Charles Wesley wrote this one, and this was first published in 1745. So Wesley, we know as the founder of the Methodist movement, but he was a Church of England clergy, and, and he was an Anglican clergyman until his death. But this, like many other hymns of Wesley, was inspired by the church here. And it's not a long hymn. In LSB, I think it just takes up, it just has melody only, and that's 338 if you're sitting with a hymnal at home, which I hope you are. But... <laughs> Come Thou Long Expected Jesus continues the theme of the other two hymns we've looked at here. This idea of coming first as a baby, but as a child and yet a king, as this this hymn puts it. This hymn has been set many times, and to turn this around and talk about the tune first. Because the text and the tune, we don't have have to work together. And this is one where I think it really works, and especially because this early American tune that it's set to can be set in canon. So one voice begins the canon and then a measure later, another voice begins at the beginning. So you end up with this, this fun, like one line is kind of chasing the other. And during the season of advent, we use this as our closing hymn at the divine service here at St. John. And we sing it in canon on the second stanza as a congregation. And as Advent goes along, usually the third Sunday and the fourth Sunday, we've been familiar with it again, that we'll do that unaccompanied. And so to start with that text, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit rule in all our hearts alone, by thine all sufficient merit raise us to thy glorious throne. And hearing that in canon, when we were all kind of together, but we're not singing in unison, we're not, men and women are not singing the same line at the same time. It's it's quite powerful to sing that together with a few hundred of your friends, family, and unknown neighbors.
0: Well, we have about uh, a minute or two left. What else should we know about the, the text and the tune? You've explained quite a bit, and this is, this is a fun one. I, I remember um, memorizing this one as a, as a kid because it's only two yeah. stanzas. Yeah. So uh, memorizing this to, to be a processional hymn for, for services during Advent. What else should we know about this one?
2: I think the idea of urgency is here in this one. I usually get busy with a lot of things during Advent and I probably worry too much about how everyone else is doing it, and I can turn into the Advent police. And this is a very good opportunity to be freed from that, that idea of, of freedom and fears and the sins and all the things that we have made into our idols that we're asking Jesus not just to give us things, to give us life and salvation, but to take away all of those other things that would distract us from the rest that he comes to bring. And usually that rest and that peace I've found in this season are in spite of ourselves and in spite of our best efforts to do it right. And that's the consolation and the grace that at least I once in a while can glimpse even in this busy time. Well-spoken. Uh, great words from a church <laughs> musician,
1: right? Our guest today, Paul Solick, Director of Parish and School Music at St. John Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska. Thanks so much for digging into these wonderful Advent hymns with us today, Paul.
2: Thanks for having me. I appreciate
1: the opportunity. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
0: I'm Sarah Golseth.